Welcome into Griplock Foundation's weekly disc golf podcast. I'm Trevor, joined by Connor today. Hunter is not with us today, so you get another Trevor Connor episode. Um, I'm just thinking about last time it was just the two of us, and we had to redo the intro because you called yourself Hunter. I almost did it again today. <laughs> it, I had to pause, if you noticed. Uh, if you're into these episodes, then good for you. That's You're going to be in for a treat. If you're not, then I'm sorry. But <laughs> I think you should stick around because we're going to, you know, we don't have a ton to talk about this week. We're going to recap the Mid America Open. Um, that went on and then we're, we're going to experiment with a few new segments. Um, Oh, I like that. If you, if you listen to our off season podcasts, um, uh, we do a lot more like segments that are like re- repeating and then we kind of change them up each off season to, to fill in the blanks when there's not a lot of disc golf going on. And this was kind of a quiet week for disc golf beyond the silver series that went on. So we're going to test out some, uh, some segments. So maybe this will be like a little, uh, early preview for the off season. We know a lot of people like the off season podcast. So that's what you can look forward to, but we're going to start with the Mid-America Open. Um, I was on vacation this weekend, so I didn't get to watch every second of it. Um, it's also a little tougher because with Silver Series, they only go live for the last round, but I was able to do some extensive uh, research through all the threads about it, and I also watched a good bit of the final round um, to get the scope, but we'll start with the FPO. Sarah Holcomb taking it down at even par, uh, followed by Cat Merch at plus five, so a pretty comfortable margin of victory. And then Natalie Ryan and Jessica Weiss both tied for third at plus seven. Uh, this is Sarah Hokum's second win this year. Both have been Silver Series wins. She won the Masters Cup, if you remember, not too long ago. Uh, here's the thing about Sarah Hokum. Looking over the stats, you know, I, I click on the stats tab expecting, oh, Sarah Hokum won. She probably just threw really well and putting wasn't super important. Keep in mind, um, this field was not super strong for the FPO at all. Um, MPO field was a yeah FPO uh, MPO field was a little bit better FPO field nobody it was it was kind of a lot of players could have won but nothing crazy but I mean she won by five against some um, solid players so nothing to nothing to scoff at but Sarah Holcomb has recently got like a new putt they were talking about it I remember last week on the broadcast and she was third in strokes gained putting mm. uh, along with her normally impressive you know, kind of expected driving statistics. So Sarah Hokum, folks, you know, she'll have to see if she keeps that up because sometimes it might be kind of one of those things where you're like, I changed up my putt and I'm so much better now. And then for like one round, you just destroy and you're so good at putting, but then you just, it's very true. And like I, when they said she changed her putt, I remember like watching like, Oh, like, let me pay attention here. And then I saw it and I was like, she did like, Oh, mm. like it wasn't like that drastic. I don't, Unless I'm, I don't remember her having like a super notable. Sarah Hogan every time. Oh man, her putt was tough to watch. Gotcha. Very wobbly, and as like, oh, and like yes. I throw I some wobbly that. putts in my day, but her putts, man, whew, they mm. wobble. Um, that's always been her struggle, but she's a player that like we kind of we've seen enough Sarah Hogan that a you know she's won some big things. You know she's a world champ. Um, but we've kind of like seen you know she's been around long enough that she's not like there are certain players on tour. That like are young enough and new enough that like mm-hmm. we can be like oh they just figure out their putt and like they're in business like, yeah yeah I, and even like Katrina Allen we've done that for years with but like Sarah Hokum I think we all kind of just like thought we knew Sarah Hokum like oh she's just not a good putter mm-hmm. and, like some people just are like that but hey if the putting comes into play I mean there are certain courses especially with her forehand where like Sarah Hokum is is legit so well that's a good thing is that it, not having a very spinny putt. 
and then working on your putt to make it to give it more spin I feel like is the best change you can do in putting because other yeah. things can be like I'm going to switch up my style because I'm just not super confident with this you're just going to eventually not be confident with another style yeah. but if it's like this is a more effective putt right. that's I feel like that's the best way to work on your putt that is a good point it's kind of like one of those rock bottom things where like I remember like it was kind of how the way I thought about Evelina's putt is like you get to a point where your putt is so bad mm-hmm. to where you might as well change it towards something that might not work for you at the beginning at all, but like it's going to like eventually blossom into something better. Yeah. And also like you can't get worse. So <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, there's just, it's just kind of one of those situations, but that'll be interesting to kind of keep track of. And then, you know, coming now she's got a win under her belt uh, again this season. So there's momentum there. So Sarah Hokum sneaky pick for worlds in a few weeks, huh? Maybe hmm? that can be interesting. Um, but let's move into the MPO. Uh, MPO was kind of a shootout. We had Alden Harris taking it down at 26 under, followed by Gannon Burr and Chris Clemens, both at 24 under. Barella finished at 23 under. Here's the thing. Alden Harris, you know, didn't quite go, uh, I don't believe he quite went wire to wire. It was, it was close. He, he went, um, he had three solid rounds. Boom, boom, boom. Like he never, he never wavered. Uh, really, really great play kind of coast to coast there. Uh, first silver series win of the year. He did have a win at goat Hill, uh, which was just an a tier this year, but had a pretty strong field. And he also won music city open in 2020 with a really good field. So Alden Harris actually has some sneaky good wins. Um, I think we might be sleeping on Alden Harris as a player because he's not somebody and he's been streaky this year, granted, but he does have like solid wins now. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like everybody kind of agrees that like, you know, Gannon Burr is like the golden child prospect. Right. And then there's like, you know, there's quite a few other names, but like Alden Harris does not get grouped into those names ever. Um, But here's the thing. Alden Harris was rated 876 in 2017. That was his first Mm. PDGA season. Okay. Only five years ago. His first full touring year was in 2021 and he didn't, he was only, uh, he only hit a thousand rated in 2019, just a few years ago. So I think that we might like, Alden Harris, like, is not realized potential yet. Like, I think there's probably quite a bit more ceiling to him with the yeah. way his progression has gone. And I think a lot of people were not tracking with that. Yeah. I certainly wasn't. Like, I've seen his vlogs on YouTube and they're funny. I mean, when, <laughs> like, we, played, when we played that game last week. Yeah, you couldn't even, uh, you couldn't we, even name him. Couldn't even, I couldn't even think of a single like hint characteristic yeah. about him. Yeah, so I think that... Hopefully this gets him some more attention and he has some bigger finishes at um, higher level events this year. But like really saw a win and and uh, he he held off some very good players. We'll kind of get into the way it all wrapped up because the final round of this event was kind of interesting. Um, mostly we're going to kind of get into it, but mostly having to do with the amount of time that it took. But here's the basically the situation was that. Um, Chris Clemens and Anthony Barella were both in the clubhouse well ahead of that group, uh, both at 24 under. So set a pretty intense pace. Um, Alden Harris and Gannon Burr are kind of chasing that. They eventually get to 18 and on hole 18, Gannon's at 24 under and Alden is at 25 under. And hole 18 is a fantastic hole. Harmony Benz is a really cool course. I actually was reading online that like one of the main, apparently one of the main things stopping Harmony Benz from being like a, pro tour stop and it's not just a silver series is mm-hmm. apparently it floods really bad 
Oh, okay. People were saying that like one bad rain there and like it's unplayable. It's oh, like underwater. Okay. So that that's kind of a bummer because it is, I mean. That's hard to fix too. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's nothing really to do about it unless like you pick a better time of the year, but still. Um, but hole 18 at this course was like incredible. You had basically a downhill drive into a landing zone with like OB short and long. Uh, and then you're going over like there's like a winding really deep really wide creek that goes through the rest of the hole and so your next shot um, goes to a landing zone on the right with a bunch of trees you have to miss and then you could finally go on to the last island um, so there was decisions to be made and there's also a lot of individual tough shots to throw which makes for mm. a ton of separation which is what you're looking for in a hole 18 when yeah. you so because now you've got a one stroke um tournament and then you've got even you've even got two guys uh at 24 under in the clubhouse so there's a lot of people in it yeah and it feels like the event feels like it's still up for grabs at that point which i really love about like i think that's a good hole 18 like we've seen too many this year that are not that exciting um but off the tee um i i saw some people claiming that gannon like apparently they were saying like i they think he could have gotten the eagle um, I looked at the core stats and only one person eagled that hole the entire event. And it was a throw in of at least 20 meters. So oh, I'm guessing they threw it in from the second island. I don't know if there's like a way to actually get to the last island from the first one. It seemed pretty improbable. But in any case, Gannon Burr's drive got knocked down short, like barely inbounds. And um, so he was like automatically had to go to the second island. Mm-hmm. He then... Uh, he then laid up to the third and had a birdie putt, um, but Alden played it perfectly. Laces drive, perfect, perfect second shot, and then literally jump putt up over the creek, tap in birdie. So he he really you know finished out strong because he took a double bogey a few holes before that that put him back in the mix. Um, but yeah, I think it was just like it was a great example of a great hole eighteen. So my question is. What is like what first of all, what do you think about hole eighteens in general and like how they should play out? And then what is like your favorite hole eighteen that you've ever played? Oh, that I've ever played. So whole whole eighteens are tough for me because I think about what I think is the most dramatic course of all time, and that's Winthrop Gold. Yeah. At USDGC, because it provides the most dramatic finishes in our sport, I think. And the drama ties in there with hole 17. It's true. Hole 18 is tough. The green is exciting. So it's still things can happen, but it's almost like you you almost know a, a lot of times you kind of have a good prediction after hole 17 of yeah. who's about to win. And I think um, it's because 17 is so drastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like somebody takes such a big number on 17. Like you, re- you almost you rarely see 18 come down to at least it doesn't feel like it. Like I feel like I see a lot of um, laying up on 18 Mm -hmm. and, but I think it's because you end up in a situation where a, you have two players tied. Yeah. So like last, um, last year, Paul gets 18 and a par gets him into a playoff. So like Mm -hmm. he was kind of like in between. Yeah. And so he had a putt for the win, but he could have played it more aggressive probably if he knew he needed the birdie. Yeah. You rarely, I feel like you don't often see where like somebody, like two players get to 18 and one of them's just back one 
And then so like you kind of force people to try and go for birdies. Yeah. But I do agree. 17 is definitely the separator. Mm -hmm. I think, but I, but I think that it's, I think it does make for a really good course though. Whenever 18, the way I feel about 18 is I don't think 18 should be like a, like it's going to destroy you whole, but I also don't think that it should be like, I feel like 18 should be, you get up there. Two of you are tied. You're tied with one other person. And if you've got the box, you're like, if I don't birdie it, he's going to birdie it. But if I throw it and I park it, or, you know, if it's par four, I throw it, and I'm in the perfect position. You put pressure on the other guy that's tied with you too. You know, if I, I've got, now I've got a match, you yeah. know? And like, so I feel like I 18 needs to be gettable. Um, I don't, I don't like 18 just being a par fest. Like I want yeah. it to be a get, very gettable hole. Yeah. That's why like, I think about one specific hole I think is, um, now this is not necessarily a pro tour, just one that I like yeah. is it's, it's at a course in Charlotte and it's either, it's not Nevin. It might be, um, RL Smith. I'm not sure. It's a course that I'm not even sure it's there anymore, but it's, it's one of the older courses in Charlotte. There's a lot of old courses, but it's one of those ones. I know Philo played there for, um, some tournament. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, the very last hole is about three fifty, I think. And it's over this valley and it's very steep going up to the basket, but it's very tall, like spongy grass. Yeah. So there's not rollaways aren't huge there. Uh, so it's like very, it's pretty easy to park it, but you've got a, little bit of a narrow line to the basket of trees probably a 40 to 50 foot wide fairway through yeah. the trees and then it's just a straight but it's just a dead straight shot and to me I, that was a whole 18 and I thought it was so much fun because you look at it and you're like it's basically like a bigger version of hole one at east okay. um you look at it and you're just like all right well easy hole like all I've got to do is throw it I can see the baskets eye level with me but you've got this huge valley in between you and the hole with like a little creek down there, and then still a fair a line a it's like, like gap. eight at east. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, it is kind of like that. And so, um, you're uh, it's very gettable, but I think it's really fun because you just as easily as you can park it, you can veer off a little bit and get kicked down and take a big number. You can go. Yeah. For, so it's a very much like a you can you can park it, get a birdie, and be like that was easy. Or you can be playing for your bogey because you're just down in this creek out in the woods. And so I, I feel like that makes like a good 18 because you can be going into the whole tide and then still put pressure on to like, I have to throw a good shot here. Yeah. I um, like So something like that where I think numbers could be taken and birdies could be made. Yeah. I, I think it just, there needs to be separation. And I, I like having, I like a hole where there has to be two good shots thrown. I do like the par fours and fives because mm. I like that you can't just get away with throwing one good shot. You've got to throw multiple in the last hole. That also makes more sense monetarily because people once people once one person parks and the other doesn't, they might click off. It's true. It's true. But um, in any case, this was a this was a great one. Um, yeah. It, so it ended up where Bert wasn't able to make birdie. Uh, Alden closed it out. Great win for him. Um, the main storyline that really ended up coming on this event. And this was just kind of, this has been talked about a lot this year, a lot last year, and it's really come full circle now with what happened with Nico is pace of play. Basically mm -hmm. you had a, I've got, I've got some, we'll start with, um, it's safe to say players and fans were outraged about this, but we will start with some tweets from Drew Gibson. Cause that'll kind of, you know, Drew is one of the players who's not really afraid to like 
you know, voice himself. So first he had, I love listening to, Hey Gannon, please hurry up a little. And then you have, um, he should, he said, you should, we should normalize a finished gentleman with a stopwatch at all events. I think it's fair response to two minute upshots. We finished, he said, we finished signed autographs, ate dinner, and we were back to our place. We were staying at before our lead card finished. We were second card over an hour behind question mark. Hmm. So, that last card was taking forever. I mean, they were so far behind. Um, and there's just a number of issues here. For starters, and I, I know like a lot of it was Gannon, but I'm sure the whole the card as a whole probably was not playing the fastest. Um, but Gannon was definitely a big part of it, and I, I watched some of it in Saul. And there's there's a lot of issues at hand here. Number one issue is basically the hypocrisy, essentially. Because Nico LaCastro, now granted, what happened to Nico ultimately was obviously due to how he reacted to the yes, situation. For like, sure. We're not like that's that's very clear. But Nico was called on time um, because he's known as a repeat offender. So who's also known as a repeat offender, but even more so, Gannon Burr. So yeah. if Gannon Burr isn't also going to be treated that way, because it's not really realistic to have volunteers stop with stopwatches on every hole. And also it makes like having a shot clock like that really takes away from the sport. In my opinion, it's a struggle because disc golf is always going to be somewhat of a gentleman's game. Mm-hmm. You have to like, there's just a lot of unspoken rules and like there has to be just a respect amongst card mates to like follow the rules. However, when there is somebody who's a repeat offender and when you and when you know for a fact that the card is way behind pace, then there needs to be enforcement. You know, that's what I'm definitely for that. Like, okay, now there's a course marshal out there who can go to that group and say, hey guys, you guys start picking it up. And then if they don't start picking it up, like, hey guys, guess what? Now you haven't picked it up. I'm gonna be out here timing you. Like mm-hmm. that. I think there's just a progression like that. I think that's because that can idea. happen within two holes. You know, first hole, you need to pick it up, second hole, didn't pick it up. Okay, I'm gonna start timing you because um, yeah, Gannon Burr was taking I mean, it, it just, like, comes down to it. Like, almost every shot, he's violating the PDGA rules. I mean, there were shots. People yeah. were timing them. People were apparently sending text messages to Brian Earhart, who was there, like, timing the players. Because, um, I mean, it, they were just well in excess of the amount of time they have. Uh, Reddit was going nuts about it. Um, Jeremy Colling was another player who spoke out about it. He actually, um, I believe this was a Facebook post, but he he basically said, this is his like idea for how they should fix things. He said, in my opinion, the Disc Golf Pro Tour Silver Series and Major should have an altered set of rules that translates better to the level of play on tour, which we've said a lot of times in this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I have a suggestion regarding the potential change to the 30-second rule. A, each player is permitted 45 seconds to throw. The same rules are applied as when that time begins. B, each player is permitted two extensions per round, which they must announce themselves... Uh, which they must announce themselves before the 45 seconds is up, at which point they are getting an extra 30 to 45 seconds to perform their throw. C. Interesting. If any player goes over their allotted 45 seconds without announcing an extension, a time violation can then be called and must be seconded, at which point the player receives automatic one-stroke penalty. Um, He said, we are professionals. We need to hold ourselves more accountable. I realize in the end it still comes down to players officiating one another. I'm also aware of the uncomfortable position we're in when we should be calling the rules on our buddies when they break the rules. I'm not even going to pretend like I'm not guilty of letting this rule slide. Heck, usually several times around. I will, however, say something when a player is egregiously taking advantage of any other rule. There is automatic stroke attached to their prospect of deliberately neglecting the rules. I believe it may aid some players 
who are developing a more sound routine. Mm. Um, I think this makes sense to me. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I hate that there has to be this kind of structure around the thing to like, that to me is so like, I'm a fast player. So, and there are a lot of people out there that are fast players, but I, I get, I understand why some players take their time more. And like when Gannon Burr is lining up an upshot, that's going to decide his tournament essentially. Like I get it, but if it gets so bad, because my second issue I was going to bring up was that group ahead of them got into the clubhouse so much ahead of them. Like it should be the group ahead of them should be finishing up whole 18 and then they should be getting to hold the next group should be getting to whole 18 like Mm -hmm. pretty soon because now the broadcast you've got a lot of golf where it is one group. So you are waiting so much Mm -hmm. and they can't fill it with the chase card. So like that becomes a problem for the, for the broadcast and people are now going after live disc golf. Like we try so hard on this podcast and in general to like support live disc golf, but when you have really slow pace of play like that and they can't fill it with anything. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I don't care if they're playing slow, but I'm just seeing other shots. But when you can't fill it with anything, it's just Mm -hmm. dead space. Uh, that really hurts the broadcast. Um, I think that what big germ was saying, it it does make some sense. The rules would be tricky. It's just, it just goes back to the same thing though, where it's like, calling your card mates on rules is never going to be really an effective mm-hmm. way to marshal the sport because some people, you know, some people just aren't going to want to do it. So I, I think that there just needs to be a set amount of marshals on the course. And I think they need to be there for a couple reasons. I think they need to be able to be called over to make a decision. I think they need to be called over in case of time, like keeping track of that thing. I think that's, it's just way be- it surprises me that it isn't already in place. It's just hard because like it's the rules are so mushy that like they even are. even just the fact that it, it's when they have uh what is it would they have what addressed their lie? Uh when they've had ample time to address their lie or something like that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of ambiguous like, words. It's, and so like it's how just to, golf like, rules. How do you you can argue all of them? Like I hadn't yeah. addressed my lie yet. Like yeah. and so I think that I think that one thing that is is helping with this and and is i think that what's going to help with this is that we are starting to see more repercussions for it yeah yeah. that's like that's like with everything is that like the moment that you start actually having consequences for these smaller rules being broken the more that people will take rules seriously for sure because like if if ganon burr is called for at one time he's a nice guy he's not going to be like he's not going to fight it he's going to be like oh i need to probably learn how to we're not called for it. I mean, yeah. He's been called for it. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, I, I don't know. I, I honestly think that I don't think it's realistic, but the whole timing thing, like where there's like a clock or something, because sometimes you just don't realize you're taking. Long. Yeah. Well, here's the and here's the, the deeper issue is that the players who I've noticed that are struggling with this, the Nikos and the Gannon. There, it is a mental battle they're fighting. Mm-hmm. It is not deliberate. It's clearly obvious and that, that clock will not help. They, yeah, they have, you know, ticks in their routine, like picking up the chalk bag. Like there's things that are going on to where they're just processing things and time is not working the same way. In mm-hmm. So that's where it gets really hard is because like they, those players are basically just, if time becomes more of a push, they those players are going to have to work harder than a lot of other players to develop a routine that gets them throwing, making decisions quicker. I, I like what Colin was saying about the extensions. Like I hate having that much logistics in the disc golf round. Like, let me declare a time extension. But like, I, 
the way a disc golf round should work in a perfect world is that players get to their throw normally and get their lie they throw pretty quickly because like a lot of times you have time to decide because you're walking to your throw you're walking to the next tee other people are throwing before you mm-hmm. like you have time so in the in a perfect world most of your throws during a round should happen really quick and then there should be sometimes where it takes a bit longer or you second guess yourself picking and then that should be fine because it should balance itself out so like yeah. that is how golf is meant to happen and it's it stinks that it that like there are players who are too slow and this happens in the PGA tour like there are players who Yeah, I was going to ask what what do they do there? There are players that are notoriously slow on the PGA tour, but there are also marshals on the course that will speed them up if they have to. Okay. Um it, so that's what stinks about it is because like let's say I'm a player who plays literally every single shot in five to 10 seconds, the whole Mm -hmm. round. And then the one time I need like a little, like literally a minute instead of 45 seconds to, to like figure out my shot. I can't have it. Or like I like with the extension thing, like I already used my two extensions like that. That's where like it stinks. Cause like, but I mean, what happened this weekend? It was, it was pretty bad. People were very upset about it. And like, that's just, it just wasn't a good look overall. It Um, is the thing it comes down to is like it, it, I think, it's not just a pace like pace of play is huge for it. That, that is a big deal. Um, but it is an it is an advantage because every shot you walk up to is a puzzle, yeah. and you are you are discovering the best way to solve it because you're. I mean, if you're scrambling and you've got thirty seconds, you're addressing your lie, and you might just be really good at addressing everything to where in thirty seconds you can figure out. Oh, there is a hole up in the trees. If I get this, oh no. If I move this way, okay. Well, this log is in my way, so if I move that, like. There are ways to, it's kind of like professional Rubik's Cube solvers. Yeah. They're, they uncover the Rubik's Cube while it's all mixed up. And they have, what, a minute, I think, to look at the Rubik's Cube, touch oh, it, and look that. at it. Or, yeah, maybe yeah. 30 seconds. <laughs> it's, it's that they have to, like, basically address their lie as Rubik's mm-hmm. Cube and look at, I'm not a huge Rubik's Cube person, so that, I don't No, like, I like this analogy. But, Keep but going. <laughs> they, they look at it. And then they put it down, and they only have that much time. Then they start, and they solve it. Right. And then it's the same thing. If one if one kid, one guy, excuse me, has uh, 30 seconds to look at his Rubik's Cube, and the other guy has two minutes, the two minutes helps because you can think through how to solve yeah, it better. Yeah, yeah. It's the same way in disc golf. You, you've, if you have more time to think about what you're going to throw... And you're not a mental case. You're gonna like it's gonna help you because you can actually discover different lines and stuff. So it, th- it is an advantage. I think it's just a, it's difficult for some people to grasp, and even myself, because essentially what we're describing with this universal time limit that's enforced on every shot is like you're saying is essentially like a new part of disc golf, which mm-hmm. is now like speed lie assessing. Yeah, it's no longer like just can you throw shots well. Now it's can you find lines in a quick amount of time yeah. so you can get your throw off in time? Mm-hmm. And that is as a weird, that's a very weird line for the sport of golf. Like it it's not, very it's tough. very atypical for golf because it's always been a sport that governs itself and like just is kind of loosey goosey with rules like that because people are just expected to follow them because it's just part of the respect of the game. It's part of the mm-hmm. etiquette. Like whenever you have a sport like golf that's so heavy in etiquette, there's always going to be stuff that is weird because like, for instance, um, like if you're golfing with your buddy and you step in his line for a putt, I do, now I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that's not a actual rule violation. However, it is etiquette. You don't do that because you could mess up his lie. Gotcha. Now, so now if that's not a rule, could somebody purposely step in somebody's line on the tour? 
I like, or let's just, let's just keep it in the scope of you with your buddy and you and your buddy, you're not going to think he just broke a rule, Mm -hmm. but he's abusing something that's part of etiquette. So this is kind of like where the time falls Mm -hmm. right now. Cause even though there is a rule, it's kind of always been treated as like an etiquette situation. So that's just, that's just a difficult thing with golf. And it just, it's, you know, it's hard and it, it, you know, it'll evolve in whatever way the PDJ and the pro tour decides to make it. I'll be curious to see what they do about it, but I prefer keeping it, the, keeping it self-governed, keeping it the way it is, and then calling officials over if necessary. If there's multiple problems, right? If there's problems, I, I then we start the most sense. Like we don't need because like not everybody needs to have a clock held up by a board over their head to throw their shot. Well, because the That's more cheesy. the more like technical uh, ways that they use to solve the problem, the more technicalities can be can get involved. And the more, yeah, like, like imagine imagine a player just imagine a player just misses getting his throw off by one second and then loses like worlds because of it. Like how yeah. stupid would or we feel as a sport? Even something where like, like a player is trying try like they're they're at their lie, they're about to throw, but they like slip and fall yeah. and hurt themselves. Yeah. And they've got five <laughs> seconds left to throw yeah. or they're getting a it, violation. It's just like, like it sounds so gimmicky to me imagining a player like yeah. rushing to get their throw off. Like I would Oh that, my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, like that that to me is so stupid. It was out of uh, my hand before the buzzer went off. Yeah. And then they're like they're like, Oh, you started the clock? No, I didn't really address my lie yet. Like, no, no, like restart the clock. Like think yeah. it, now that I'm thinking about it, like it, we cannot do that. True. Whenever you talk about it like that, it's, it's more bizarre. It gets, it gets sketchy. I'm interested to hear in comments how what opinions are about that. Because like I don't even know if I don't even have a firm opinion I don't on it. Either. Because there's so many there's devil's advocate for like every th- every single solution. You know what they need to do is uh so in minor league baseball, like further down the leagues, what they'll do a lot of times is test rules that they are thinking about using for Major League Baseball, like mm-hmm. bigger bases, okay. pitching like clocks where you have to throw in a certain amount of time. And a lot of the stuff does eventually get implemented. It's almost like Silver Series events. Yeah. They should start using for that kind of stuff. That's a good That's a good idea. Like, oh, should we mess around with a bigger circle for this event? Should we mess around with this? Now, Silver Series events probably mean too much at this mm-hmm. point, but there could be maybe in the future if there's events that are a little bit lower down. But I think that could be like, I think the best way to experiment with rules is to actually use them in yeah. events so anyways that's that we should have one we should have one major every mm. it's just the experimental major i don't it couldn't be a, couldn't major, be a major no but we should have one turn it's almost it'll take the place of what's the useless one the match play yeah the useless <laughs> it take place of that and and uh it can be like the what we would call it um like like What's a way to say? progressive rules tournament or something like that? Yeah. Where it's like, what we, rules would you implement? Well, you could, bigger circle, smaller baskets. I, yeah, I would say I would definitely um, do smaller baskets. Do a time, a do, a, do a clock on each throw. Shirts, like, clock shirts on everybody. Clock shirts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, stuff stuff like that. I think would be that would be fascinating. Maybe we could run it because it wouldn't be PDJ sanctioned. Pants required pants required pants. <laughs> we'll run the event because it won't be PDJ sanctioned. So we just need to get a hold of some marksman baskets. We're good to go. <laughs> I got um, one in here. <laughs> yeah, so moving on from America, um, important to mention that the Finnish Nationals also went on uh, this past weekend. and Seppo win? No. Nicholas Antela won the MPO, and Evelina Solomon won the FPO. Um, so pretty expected wins over there. Uh, also in our European news, Kristen Tatar posted that she is feeling better. The elbow is healing up. Nice. Uh, she just competed, I believe it was at Estonian Nationals, and it felt pretty good. So she's kind of planning on getting back to the U.S. soon to finish her season uh, here, which is great news because it, 
it really has been a bummer not having her over here. Uh, you know, just the FPO field has certainly been lacking mm-hmm. in general. Um, but yeah, good good news for Kristen Tatar. Uh, all right, so we're gonna hop into a you know kind of a new segment here. This is gonna be kind of just like a, a test thing. I, I basically we're gonna call this Disc Golf Help Center. Um, I basically okay. went on Reddit and was you get a lot of people asking questions on Reddit. Um, oh, okay. And just looking for answers and a lot of people giving good answers, sometimes not good answers. But I found one that kind of interested me this because it's relevant to me. So this person was asking, how long and or how many tournaments did you play before nerves were less of a factor than your actual performance? And this is like that that like hit home with me because for really all of my disc golf career, I've always felt like nerves had all the effect on my performance in a disc golf tournament, not actually how I played because anytime that I've like, like nerves for me had always been so severe when I was playing tournaments that it could take over my whole body. Like I would be, it didn't matter how much I'd practice, how good I was. If I was very nervous, I was not making any putts. I was not hitting any lines. Like, and I've had some very bad experiences with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just now, I've, I haven't played uh, the last tournament I played that was competitive. It was a flex start, so it wasn't that competitive, but I played pretty well. I think I took like second or third at it. And that one was pretty casual, but I, I wouldn't know what it would feel like for me if I went to the last time I played a competitive tournament, it did not work out. Like I was very nervous. My my thing is I, I've slowly gotten better with this because um I play on camera a lot and I play in front of, you know, we do foundation versus the nation and that kind of thing. I'm playing in front of a lot of people. When we do the bogey bro battles, I'm playing with a lot of pressure, like monthly Mm -hmm. matches. So I've gotten so much practice under pressure, but honestly, what I think it comes down to for me is I have, (laughs) and this is like kind of silly to say, but I have literally played I've embarrassed myself so much on a disc golf course and I've had those awful tournaments happen to me so many times. And you've that had like, it broadcasted in front of tens right, of thousands of people. Right. So like that it just doesn't affect me as much anymore. So like I've kind of become numb to it. I've played enough in those situations where like nowadays, like I can go to like our weekly match, which is very competitive. And like mm-hmm. there is certainly pressure and like I can putt fine and like I can do I can throw fine. And like so I, I've start. I've literally now playing disc golf for nearly a decade. I have started to settle in, but I really struggled throughout college, you know, and when I was in high school, still playing events. Like nerves have always been difficult for me, and, and I found this very relatable post. All I can say from, and I, and I will we'll hear from you, but what I can say is for me, as far as what you can do to help the nerves, it's very difficult to say, but you have to just stop caring. Mm-hmm. So my, you have to have positive visualization and you have to stop like having that those negative thoughts of like, I'm going to miss this putt. Like, cause for me, like my, my biggest thing was, I mean, I'd have a 15 footer and I would already be missed missing it before I even stepped up to the putt. Yep. And yep. what you have to realize, like, oh, I'm never what you have this. to realize is, well, if you're, if what you're scared of is missing the putt, first of all, what whoop do you do? Just a missed putt. And yep. second of all, if you've already missed it in your head, then you, you should like, cause my thing is I would be so scared of missing that I would putt super conservatively. And that's why I would miss. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm, if I'm afraid I'm going to miss anyways, and I already missed it in my head, well, why not putt more confidently? And, and, and if you miss, well, it's the same result anyway. So like for me, it's always been just trying to like 
just get, you have to just pump yourself up with confidence. Like that's what it comes down to. The people that are the best at disc golf and at sports in general are the ones who have mastered self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just because they're arrogant people. But a lot yep. of times sometimes just people it takes. a lot of times they're just people who just are they are very confident in their own abilities and they're able to give themselves confidence. Whereas in my disc golf career, it was always me getting down on myself, being like, I'm not good enough. And so I've I didn't I went about this the wrong way because now where I've gotten to is just like the reason I've gotten over nerves a lot is because A, a lot of experience and B I just don't care anymore. You know, what I do for in disc golf for a living involves entertainment, not performance really. But what I would say is if you're really trying to get on a better path, it's it's all positive thoughts and self-confidence. What what has your experience been? I think that in a very similar way, um, I think I think that I've learned a lot from Robbie C. Thinking about this, like he's put stuff into perspective yeah. for me just personally on Robbie a personal C's time a watching his videos. But something that he does is, well, I think that something that's important, which I'm not ever going to be the science guy, but we can look into the science of why you play worse when you're nervous. Because there is a reason. You're not just an idiot. Like it's yeah. like you're not dumb. Like whenever you are nervous, your uh, there, body is physical reaction. Your body oh, is yeah. literally in fight or flight mode. Like your body is reacting to something. And so what happens is your muscles tense up more because you're ready to fight. So like your muscles are like tense mm-hmm. because you're nervous. And like your body does a lot of crazy stuff. I realized that like, so I'm a musician and I realized like a couple years ago, every time before I went up on stage, I had to poop. Yeah. And I like, someone ended up telling me, yeah, that's a natural body reaction. Whenever you get nervous, sometimes you feel like you have to go to the bathroom because your body quite literally shedding weight before yeah. it runs. And so like <laughs> that, your body is very, like, it's a very real thing that nerves does. But one of the main things it does for me is it makes my body tense up. So whenever I'm doing my X up, whenever I'm doing my pull through, I'm a lot more mechanic, like robotic. And so it's a lot less smooth. So my timing gets off because my yeah. ligaments just aren't You're not moving. Loose. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with putting, I just get more like I end up pulling it because I'm my timing's all messed up. So what I like to do, if I notice myself getting um, a little bit more nervous for a drive, let's say, yeah, what I do is I literally get to the back of the tee bat and I jump. I jump and I move my arms to just get my body loose enough. That's a yeah. great tip. And like yeah. get on your toes a little bit, like stop being so flat footed. What Robbie C does, literally, I watched him do, we watched him do this. You might have seen yeah. it at the Creators Cup if you guys yeah. watched that final round. Um, he dances. Yeah. Literally walks up to a putt. And if he, he, told, he told me that if he's in his head about something, oh, I should have made this decision about this putt. I should have made this decision about this putt. He said, if you're thinking about what you should have done or what you're, or the mistakes you're going to make, you're not going to make it. And so he literally was on his lie, was about to putt, stepped back, literally did a little dance like this, little shoulders, little white man dance, and then walked back up to the putt and sunk the putt. And it it's just whatever it takes to get your body loose. I think for me, something I'm going to try probably today at the weekly, not out loud, but like I'm not really the guy that's going to, with a group of friends, yeah, maybe I would dance, but it'd be more as a joke, not actually to help me. But for a putt, I think what I might start to do is to sing a song in my head, like to sit, like maybe even hum it out loud because that will get me in the most casual state. If yeah. I'm just like singing all American rejects in my Probably head, I'm going to call you on a courtesy violation. That's but. fine. That's fine. I'm not going to walk up and just be like, I can see your halo. Like I'm <laughs> like, I'm going to be like humming it, but something like that I think is good. Or even think about your, what causes you to like, what is, what is your mistake whenever you're nervous? For me, yeah. my mistake with putting is I try to put it too hard and I end up just 
putting it super nose down. Yeah. And so I just miss super low every time. I put everything behind it, but it only goes like it gets like halfway to the basket and it's very frustrating. And that kind of putt makes me the most frustrated. It doesn't only hurt that putt, but it hurts my next one because I'm so frustrated about the result. And so I've noticed the best thing for me is the slower I putt and the more nose up I put it, the further my putt's going to go and the straighter my putt's going to go. And that's for me, like personally, I realized that's what helps me. So whenever I walk up to nervous putts, I did this when we played at New London, I would just literally, I was saying out loud, slow and nose up. Slow and nose up, Connor. Slow and nose up. And so all I think about whenever I pull my putt down is go up slow and nose up. And it made me make a lot more putts that I normally would miss. And so I think just find something that takes your mind off of competition maybe. Maybe that drives you, but if you're having nervous problems like this, it probably doesn't. Um, Find something that takes your mind off of the competition and the stakes that are in play and just takes you to what is it that you need to be successful at this? Yeah. And it might be slow nose up. It might be pull through my chest more. Yeah. It's good to have like a thought like that that like gets rid of your common miss. One other thing I'll add is, is actually something that I've heard other pro athletes say, but Ezra Aderhold just said it to me when I interviewed him a few months ago. And I asked him about nerves and pressure and he said that he enjoys the pressure. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people say that before, but I was like, <laughs> like, well, yeah, okay, that's great. You're just built different. That's awesome. But then he said, he added, he's like, I've, he loves the pressure because you don't really ever get to feel that feeling other than in those moments. And that made sense to me. I was kind of mm-hmm. like, I was going, like, you know what? You go through your daily day, you know, when we're just casual disc golfers who want to play tournaments, most of us do not have pressure filled lives. Uh, and you might have some like job pressure. But sports pressure, like playing at a disc golf event, is a great feeling. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a good pressure. Like that is that is something you don't really get a lot in. Like especially in my age, like I don't really get to compete in sports a lot. So like feeling that pressure, that's something that I don't get a lot. And so you can, I've started to kind of teach my brain to say when I feel that pressure, like oh this is fun. Like I'm having fun. Like this is you know something I don't really get to feel very yeah. often so like i'm gonna enjoy the pressure and enjoy the moment yeah instead of getting terrified and be like oh my god very good point. my body is locking up think oh i feel a little shaky right now like let me step off this let me shake my shake it out mm-hmm. but like this is a fun moment like i'm yeah. feeling this pressure so that that's something that i have found to help but also a cool thing to add to that an interesting about something like a sport or something like disc golf more specifically um and i'm not sure if this makes any sense but in all the other pressures in your life, because everybody feels pressure in their life, There's but all your other pressures, whether it's whether it's financial pressures, family pressures, friends, pre- like school pressures, yeah. work, like you feel those pressures in your life and it's not an immediate, I fix it now no. or I end it now or I fail now yeah. and the pressure is over. Because even after you fail, sometimes the pressure is over because you don't have to deal with the situation right. anymore. But it's more like an elongated, this is my life. This is going to be over this next year or this next month or until my next paycheck, yeah. like stuff like that. But with disc golf, you feel that pressure and sometimes it can be almost overwhelming. But the cool thing about it is that no matter what, as soon as you're done with that throw, over like it's over you've yeah. you've accomplished that pressure yeah. whether you threw a good one or a bad one you know what it's done you don't have to throw that throw again yeah unless you're gonna break the rules it's true. and so now you just get to focus so it does make it more of a fun situation because it's such like a at the end of the day you might just have a bad round and that is the absolute worst consequence of yeah. disc golf right and yeah so, i think that's the big thing is like the consequences for disc golf pressure versus the other ones you mentioned non-existent and you know what <laughs> There's almost more pressure if you have a good round because then you have to do better next time. It's true. If you have a bad Set round. Set that bar low. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Disc Golf Help Center. Let us know if you like segments like that. That is a very fun segment. Um, I loved it, Trevor. Like I said, kind of just a test for maybe some off-season stuff. I felt like I was in therapy just then. We're now going to go to a segment that you're used to. Um, Some call it the fan favorite. It's Trevor's trivia. Connor's trivia. I'm just kidding. Uh, this is came from this comes from another thread that I found on Reddit that I thought was really fun. Uh, where basically, he this guy uh, found a bunch of disc golfers who have ages that are kind of difficult to guess, and then researched what the correct ages are. So we're gonna just okay. play a little game of how old are they? Okay, that's all it is. That's fun. Uh, so I'm gonna give you. I'm some, not really super good at this historically. Well, let's let's, let's give you let's give are. you um <laughs> let's give you some buffer room. Let's to make I've got 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10. Let's give you 15. Mm, that's too easy. Let's give you <laughs> let's give you 10. Let's give you okay. 10 as your okay. buffer. 10 room. years. 10 years. Um I'm just going to jump around the board cuz they had them in order. All right. Uh all right. We'll start off with one that's a little bit easier. We'll start with Paul Macbeth. Mm. 32. Bingo. Around the dot. Oh, nice. Right nice. on the dot. I feel like I've looked that up recently. All right. Next. Jeremy Colling. 28. Oh. Is that bad? Oh, is he like mid 30s? 28? Is he? Oh, you're right. He's definitely not 28. I think of young Jeremy Colling every time I think he of is him. 37. 37. That was you all about 10 years. No, not 10. Well, I I know I meant generally <laughs> ten years. I just lost. You got no. You got one year left. I so just to be clear, I haven't thought about Jeremy Colling in a long time. <laughs> and whenever I think about him, I literally I mean, think I about prodigy like Jeremy Colling. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're right. I'm an idiot. Gracious. I'm just gonna cut this out. I edit the podcast. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, we're just gonna keep going and see how much off you are, anyways. Even dang, that sucks. I was so next. Good you have. Uh, I told you I wasn't good at this. Paul Yulbari. Okay. Um. See, I feel like he's somebody where I think he's way older than he actually is. I think that he is. Well, he's probably right there with Jeremy Colling. I'm gonna say 38. 38. Is he not 38? He's 33. What? See, why is that ridiculous? How is like? How is it to think that 38 he is, is old? Jeremy Colling is 37. You just said. Yeah, but Jer- but Jerem is like he he's like a late bloomer. Like you gotta remember, like Paul Yulebar's been touring since he was like sixteen. Look at Paul Yulebar's face and tell me he's not thirty eight years old. He's lying. <laughs> His birth certificate is he's a lie. He's been touring since he was really young. Yeah, okay, well, him and Paul cut machine. his teeth at the same time. He. I don't think that is a ridiculous guess. Whenever yeah. I learned that Jeremy Colling, well, I'm just excited there, to see what you guessed right now. I was now. very surprised Next. that Jeremy Colling right. was 37. Next. That is, am I the only one there that thinks I that Jeremy Colling is younger guessed, than 37? I would have guessed like 35 or 34. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm not going to say 28 was an old. idiot number. I'm, a, I am a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. Well, it's mostly like Paul is 32, and like Jeremy being for some years reason younger, I thought he was younger than Paul. <laughs> I thought for sure. He was All right, next we have Nate Doss. See, that's a crapshoot. Absolute crapshoot. He's tough. He's tough. <sighs> See, I feel like I'm just going to go safe and just say 35. He's 37. Okay. I was going to say 38. Yeah, again, he kind of retired early. 35 makes sense to me, so 37 could... Let's let's do Ken Climo next. Ken Climo, you go crazy and you're like, he's 72 years old, but then like he's no. not young. He's in his 50s. Well, think about the guys that he played with. I know he's in his fifties. Is he in his late fifties? Or I see my instinct tells me 
Ken Climo's in his late fifties, which I'm gonna ignore. Okay. But I'm not gonna go super early fifties. So I'm gonna go right in the middle at fifty five. But then I'm gonna go one down from there at fifty four. Got it. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. I was on a roller coaster ride right there. I was like, oh, he's gotten closer. Oh, he's getting closer. That was great. That was really funny. All right. Um, next, we've got... My brain, my, my brain is spaghetti now after that. Next, we have Matty O. This uh, is a really tough one. Ooh, that is tough. I wouldn't have a clue what to guess him at. Well, it, I would have a little bit of a clue. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking about his face, and there is no telling. I'm saying... You gotta think beyond the face. <laughs> I'm thinking beyond the face. I'm thinking the about, bandana. That's a, that's a podcast. I'm thinking name. about the bandana. Beyond Who? The face. How old would you be to where you would wear a bandana? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. I think his body tells me 32. His bandana tells me 38. Okay. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> 36. He's 35. Oh, dang it. Wow. I thought your logic was going to lead you to the right number again. I was going to just split the difference and say 35, but I was like, no, it's going to be something more obscure. Oh, like that's, 36. That's electric. Um, all right. Next, we have Ricky Wysocki. Ricky. He's younger. He started competing around the same time as Paul. Paul is 32. I'm going to say Ricky's one year younger at 31. 29. Not stupid. Not stupid. So far... Only two stupid guesses so far. Let's just forget. I don't think Paul Ulibar is a stupid guess. Yeah, it's 38. <laughs> Jeremy Colling's 37. <laughs> All right. Uh, Am I breaking next, the mic right now? Next, Are you hearing that? No. All right, cool. Next we, have, <laughs> next we have Avery ears. Jenkins. <laughs> Avery Jenkins. Okay. I've only got three more. This could be an embarrassing one, too, because I think about Avery Jenkins just being a little bit of an older guy. Not like old, old, but he's yeah. in his 40s. I'm going to say he's... Might not be in his forties though. He's not. He's not Jeremy. I, he's got to be older than Jeremy Colin. So I'm gonna say he's right at his forties. But then, it, but he's see he's nowhere close to Clint 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 Climo. Clint Climo. I'm going forty three years old. He's forty four. Dang, You've done pretty well except for whenever except I go off two. of whenever I go off of pure guess logic and not just like what I feel. It's better. It's better. All right, two more. Um, next, we have Nico LaCastro. He is the same. He, He's like the same age as Paul. Maybe a year younger? 31? He's 33. You're older. Oh, it's going to go. Dang it. Last I'm one. all around it, though. My, my logic. You're dialing good. in right now. Last one, Greg Barsby. Greg Barsby. Another mystery, you know? I feel like he could, I mean, he could be 48. <laughs> but like he's not I don't think he could be younger but he is well like here just pick what he what he looks like and what he dresses like and then go to the middle maybe <laughs> so like what I've been doing yeah he's so, I always like it when you do that that is funny so you know sunglasses <laughs> he's got the pit the pit vipers yeah you know that's like very that's either like ironic 20 year old or 40 ish year old and he's not an ironic 20-year-old. I can tell you that for free. He also smokes mm. cigarettes. And so I feel like and that I feel like that's an age teller as well, just because okay. of when the popularity of that is. And I'm gonna have to go with I think that he could pot 
See, I was going to say upper 40s, but that is just embarrassingly bad. He's not in his upper 40s. He could be the same age as Avery Jenkins, though. He's not 50. He's not... But he he could sneaky be 35. He is 44 years old. He's 35. (laughs) He could sneaky be 35. <laughs> 44. I love that because Greg Barsby like always gets tossed in as an old guy, and then you like realize he's not that old. So I knew he'd be a tough one. Well, that was entertaining. Um yeah, that was entertaining. Two more things to mention. Wrap this podcast. His up. hair. His hair makes him look older. It does. His take away that hair. Two more things to mention. Spry thirty five. To to wrap this podcast up. First things first. No news on Nico Castro. What the heck is the PDGA waiting for? Um. They're scared. <laughs> yeah, I think they're scared. I uh, I don't know what's going on with that situation, but the PDG needs to get a grip and figure I, out what they're going to do. It's been a while at this it's point. It's been quite a while, and I, like they made an initial statement, but like at least like tell us where they're at in the process. Like give us something to go off of, because like at this point, I think I don't think he's been added to the suspended players list yet. So that's that situation. Um, and then I had one more like tiny little segment just to end it off, just a fun little one. This one is called disc golf questions that aren't really that important. <laughs> And, Love that. and the question for today is, what is the best color for a disc golf basket? Ooh, not green. I can tell you that for free. Prodigy, it's not that green. is silly. I, I have my answer. It's tough because I think I think my favorite color and the my like actual answer are kind of the same. I think yellow is good, but I think light blue is definitely my favorite. Blue. Royal blue. Why royal blue? Well, okay, I'm not, I'm just thinking about disc golf baskets I've seen, and I've never seen a light blue, but I've seen a royal light blue. Light blue is pretty, pretty cool. Okay, well, blue. I think blue is blue is the least natural. Yeah. Um, I think it's the least natural, and it's cool. And it, but it still looks nice. Yeah. Because like if you have the super crazy, color, I will say that like good. a royal blue looks more like professional than like the light blue. The light blue is like fun for a park, but it, it does look a little like cheesy. So I think if you're looking through the woods. You're going to look, see blue. a basket. You're, you're going to see blue. No matter what time of the year. Because like yep. yellow, there are times of the year where the leaves are yellow. Orange, it could be a beam of light. Well, also same thing. Leaves also same turn thing orange. Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yellow, they will never turn blue. You just said that. Green is a stupid color for a yeah, disc golf basket. I don't basket. know why Project That is thinking. dumb. That was so dumb. Like, I you think, might as well just paint the think, entire basket brown. I think they thought trunk. it was going to be like day glow, and then they realized it wasn't. It was just leaf green. And then they were like, let's just run it. Yeah. We got the paint. We got the paint. Anyways, that's blue. The answer yeah, is blue. Let, let us know your grip lock blue. Let us know in the uh, comments what you think the basket should be and all the, and uh, any other responses to what we mentioned. And let us know if you enjoyed some of the new segments we tried out. Um, we're going to have a preview show this week for Ledgestone. Pretty big deal. Uh, but other than that, we'll see you next time. <laughs>